When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. what it's all about and we got just 60 minutes to find out who's gonna win this ball game i need everybody eyes up let's take it back respect real quick how good can this team be i have no idea i think real good there is something special going on let's go i want to do something that's never been done as far as history goes, if you look at teams that play for national championships, typically they're not picked seventh in their conference. The magic continues for TCU. 60 minutes of hell, and that's the way we like it. Georgia is going to survive and earn the right to defend their national championship in L.A. Happy to have you with us for this hour-long edition of College Football Live. Sam Ocho, Stanford Steve, I'm Wendy Nix. And you can count on one hand now the number of days until Monday's national championship game. So we're not going to waste any time. Sam Ocho, TCU wins this game if. If Quentin Johnston continues to have huge games. Last game, he went six for 163. The game before that, four for 139. He's averaging over these last two weeks over 30 yards per reception. I get it. People say TCU's defense got to stop somebody. No, they don't. That offense can continue to be explosive, and the future first-round pick can continue to be dominant. All right, Steve, on the flip side, Georgia wins if what? If they don't run Philly special and it's inside the five-yard line, I think they'll be all right. Sorry I had to. It still irks me. Michigan did that with the ground game they have. Uh, Georgia wins this game if they just take care of business and play defense the way Georgia plays defense and the defense that we're accustomed to. You know, TCU ran for 263 yards against Michigan. I doubt they do that against Georgia. I think they tie up the run and make TCU one-dimensional, and that plays in the favor for Georgia to win its second national championship in a row. I tell you what, I think everybody would be surprised if they were able to do that against that Georgia defense. Mark Schleyball already entrenched with the Bulldogs. He joins us now from Athens. And, Mark, you already know this. As Steve said, this team trying to repeat for the first time as national championships since 2012. Uh, where are they now uh, in terms of getting ready? Wendy, uh, Georgia's on the practice field right now for the final time. In Athens on Friday morning, they'll load buses and drive to uh, Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. In Atlanta, they'll board a special plane from Delta Airlines, which features a Bulldog logo and the signature of former Georgia coach Vince Dooley, who passed away in October. I talked to Barbara Dooley, his widow, this morning, and she told me she knew right away that it was his signature because she had always fussed at him about dotting the I to the right in Vince instead of dotting it directly above the eye. She'll also be in uh, L.A. on Monday night. She'll be a guest of Georgia Athletics Director uh, jo Josh Brooks. 
and Georgia is expected to land around 6 p.m. Eastern on Friday night. All right, it's just about that time from one campus to another. We head now to Fort Worth where we find Chris Button. She is with TCU. The Horned Frogs also getting ready. And finally, we have some sort of update on Kendra Miller. Chris. Wendy, the running back who injured his knee in that game against Michigan, is expect expected to practice tomorrow morning. TCU will practice at 8 a.m. They will get on the buses at 9.45 to head to DFW and take a flight over to Los Angeles. When I was talking with Sunny Dykes yesterday about how we approached the week, he said there were a lot of things we wanted to get accomplished. One, uh, prepare to play a championship game. Two, I wanted to give some of our young guys some extra reps. Three, also wanted to give our guys some extra time off. So they did not practice Saturday or, or Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. Practice hard Wednesday and Thursday, and then we'll have a light practice tomorrow morning. And I was asking him, how, how is he getting ready for this? Has he reached out to anyone for any advice? He said, I have an old notebook where I go back and I look at notes from coaches that I admire, and one of them is Bill Snyder. He's gone back to look at some old notes that he got from the longtime Kansas State coach, Sonny Dykes, a coach, also still a student of the game. Uh, no question, Chris. Thank you. Uh, we'll hear from you again uh, tomorrow. Uh, some good news on a story we've been following, of course, all of college football, all of the NFL world as well. An update on former Pitt Panther DeMar Hamlin. Happy to say he is conscious, able to speak with his family, and of course asked about Monday night's game that was suspended, asking if he won the game. He said, according to the doctor, oh, you definitely won. You won the game of life. And Pitt says that is the DeMar Hamlin we know and certainly love. So some great news on this Thursday afternoon. Ahead on College Football Live, if there is a blueprint for beating TCU, perhaps the team that bested the Horned Frogs for the Big 12 championship would know. K-State coach Chris Kleiman joins the show next. And who hasn't had a ball during this incredible bowl season? We revisit the moments from one of the better traditions in college football. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Heart of Texas, where a title and a trophy
I'm going to go out on a limb and say that won't get old anytime soon. Certainly not for our next guest, Kansas State head coach Chris Kleiman. Coach, uh, listen, I know you want to watch that on repeat, and I can't blame you a bit. Uh, the Sugar Bowl didn't turn out, I'm sure, exactly as you would have liked. Nevertheless, Coach, when you look back at your season as a whole, you know, what's your initial thought? Uh, unbelievably proud of the guys. Uh, they uh, took ownership in our program and uh, – uh, had a phenomenal season and had some ups and downs, but we always, we always stayed in the fight. And uh, looking what those guys did on the road, being able to win four conference games on the road, I think is the reason why we ended up making it to Arlington in early December and uh, played our best football game against a terrific TCU team. Coach, uh, this is Sam Macho. Deuce Vaughn just declared for the draft. He's the team's second all-time leading rusher. You know what he means to the team, but – what was the conversation like when he told you he was going to declare and leave early? Well, um, Deuces gets gets some great uh, inside knowledge from his family and his father, and and um, we knew that this was going to happen. Um, so excited for him, you know. He's been everything to us and to our program, and uh, the way he's conducted himself off the field, uh, the amount of community service things that he's done, uh, the impact he's made on so many young people in our community. Uh, I'm excited for him to have the opportunity. He's going to make a club. He's going to have a, a terrific career. Uh, he's so elusive. He's such a great running back. He catches the ball. Uh, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Coach, congrats on a great season. You know, everybody knows the story. Your first game against TCU, you play three quarterbacks, you lose the lead, you get the rematch, you beat them in the Big 12 title game. How important is maintaining balance on the offensive side against that 3-3-5 defense for TCU in order to have success in scoring the ball? Yeah, it's, in, it's imperative. You have to have balance. You know, we were able to do that in the championship game, being able to throw it and being able to run it pretty, pretty equally. Um, but they're such good tacklers. Uh, they rarely give up explosive plays, uh, and they've got a bunch of veterans on that side of the ball. I know they've got veterans all over the place, but specifically on defense that have played so much football together, it's just hard to crack those guys, and you're going to get five or six mm. uh, at times, but uh, they get you to turn the football over, uh, and they get off the field on third down. Coach, when you put your scouting hat on, just simply because, of course, you, you had the opportunity to play this team twice, you know, if you had any advice to Georgia – uh, what would it be? Don't kick it to Davis. It'd be the first thing. Uh, <laughs> That's fair. I, I, on special teams is where I, I think they're so electric. Um, you know, from a punt return, kick return standpoint, it was always things that worried us. Uh, we were fortunate we were able to kick it out of the end zone a lot. Uh, and you got to kick it out of the end zone. You kick it six, seven yards deep, they're going to bring it back. And um, I noticed on the long return they had against Michigan, they set it up just as they'd set it up against everybody on their punt return, and that enabled them to get a score. And um, special teams is something that uh, TCU has to have take big advantage of. They've got to be able to make a couple of explosive plays on there. And then I just I, I would never count out Max Duggan. Um, he's just a flat winner. Uh, he's going to find a way, and uh, I'm looking forward to a terrific game. Coach, what did you tell your team in that Big 12 championship game, whether at halftime or between overtime, getting in overtime? What did you tell your team going into that game to try to win? Well, we thought we played TCU really well. Unfortunately, it was for a half, and we were up 28 to 10 uh, at TCU and uh, came out of the locker room and give them credit. Uh, they got a couple of stops and, and 
had a couple of explosive plays. And so we lost that game 38 to 28. But our guys really felt like they could play with them and really felt like uh, we were evenly matched with those guys. And so when you know each other so well, like the teams in our league yeah, do, quite, quite. our guys had a lot of confidence going into that game. Um, we were playing at a high level, had, having won their last three, including two on the road. That uh, um, We were just trying to get that thing into the fourth quarter. Uh, lo and behold, it goes into a, to an overtime period and make a big-time <laughs> stop with our with our front on third and fourth down, and then Ty Zender comes in with a big smile on his face and, and kicks the game winner. Coach, how much easier is it to root for a conference opponent knowing you beat them? Well, it's always easier to root for a Big 12 <laughs> opponent for starters, but absolutely, the fact that uh, we were able to get them once, um, I, I'm so excited. Uh, Sonny's a great coach. Uh, got a great thing going there. So much respect for their team. Uh, we had two great battles with them, and uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that they play their best football game. That's uh, something that's really important. They can play their best football game. They have mm-hmm. an opportunity. They did against Michigan. Yep. Um, they answered Michigan's uh, answers back and forth, and um, they're, they're, I'm telling you, they're a team with a bunch of resolve and resilience, and uh, they get in the fourth quarter. They got a shot. And, Coach, going back to, to Deuce Vaughn, obviously he's leaving, but where do you go and where does your team go from here at the running back position? Well, uh, I wish you weren't leaving, for starters, because of what he's meant <laughs> to our program. Uh, we've got a bunch of our offensive linemen returning. I think everybody, our top eight offensive line, uh, offensive linemen returning, so it's a pretty good spot there uh, for a running back. Uh, Will Howard returns at quarterback. DJ Giddens had a really good uh, – uh, last half of the year for us and got, got more and more playing time. We're excited about him. We have some younger players uh, as well. But, uh, you know, I, I think the expectations, the bar has been raised at Kansas State, and uh, our expectations are high in our program. We have a lot of guys returning on both sides of the ball, and um, we don't have Deuce, unfortunately, uh, that's going to have that big infectious smile every time he, every time he walks in the facility. But uh, um, I, I, I'm excited about what our future has. Well, Coach, I got to hand it to you. You're a better man than I am woman because I would only pull for TCU if I beat him, which you did. Uh, so you're, you're in safe territory there. Uh, I, I know that uh, winning a Big 12 championship was a goal of this team from the outset, and you did it. Uh, congratulations. We certainly look forward to next season and what it holds. Thanks for being with us. Appreciate you guys having me. All right, still to come on College Football Live, from Cheez-Its to Tony the Tiger, there's certainly no shortage of shenanigans during college football's bowl season. Ryan McGee is up next with some of the moments you may have missed. Welcome back to College Football Live. Who needs Gatorade? Certainly not in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, where the celebration of choice is Duke's mayonnaise. That's impressive to head coach Mike Loxley, not only the win over NC State, but the mayo shower. I, I, I'm, not, I'm just going to leave it there. Ryan McGee joins us now. And, Ryan, <laughs> I know you have an article out right now uh, on .com about bowl season. I first want to ask if we need to pay you a little more, get a current sweatshirt. What, what, what is that? The, is that the Myrtle Beach Bowl from, what, 2021? What, what do we say? It's, yeah, this is a Fiesta Bowl watch from, I think, like 1988. My dad worked that game in 1998. So, yeah, no, I, 
bowl stuff because I grew up going to bowl games with my dad as a referee. And so, yeah, I'm, I am not above wearing some old gear at uh, <laughs> Wendy Nicks. Well, not only old gear, uh, nobody loves free gear like the media. So I don't, I don't doubt that it was also free. Nevertheless, Ryan, uh, take <laughs> us through some of these better moments uh, of bowl season because it's really been a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and listen, you know this about the media, too. We love free food. Now, I don't know how I feel about having food dumped on my head. True. I mean, you saw Mike Loxley there at the Duke's Mayo Bowl here in Charlotte, where I live. In fact, I went to the mall with my teenage daughter about two days before the Duke's Mayo Bowl and saw Mike Loxley and his staff, and they were already nervous. Like, all right, good news is I think we're going to win the game. The bad news is I'm not sure how we're going to handle this mayonnaise situation. The good news is suffer concussion like Shane Beamer did a year ago when they dropped the, the thing with the mayor on his head. But not only that, so at the, at the famous Idaho Potato Bowl, uh, they dumped French fries on Chris Creighton's head from Eastern Michigan. And then Chris Creighton like went full Cirque du Soleil and started juggling potatoes, like out of the Potato Bowl trophy. And sorry, we had Cheez-Its, of course, Cheez-Its all over the place. Uh, we had Frosted Flakes at the Sun Bowl. So I love food. I love free food. I don't know how I feel about free food being dumped on my head. All right, I do have to ask, if you were going to have a food bowl, you know, what, what would you pick? If, if, you can't be something we already have. It's got to be something else. Yeah, um, you know, I was a big fan when uh, Popeye's Fried Chicken sponsored the Bahamas Bowl. And they don't anymore. But, I mean, is there any better combination than sitting like eating a bucket of fried chicken? Like, I'm... I'm all for that. But, yeah, I, I'm all for any, any fried chicken sponsoring. And you know, I'm a NASCAR guy. I remember back in the day we had the Hardee's Fried Chicken Challenge 250, which is still the greatest NASCAR race name of all time. And I would like to see that on a football game. That's, that's America right there, Wendy Nicks. I cannot believe you said that because I was going to say mine would be the Hardee's Sausage Biscuit Bowl. I mean, I, I have eaten about 10,000 in my lifetime. If you know what they are, you know I'm not kidding. All right. Uh, there's also some trolling going on during bowl season. Ryan, you talked yeah. a little bit about this in the article. Uh, who, had the, who, who had the best best trolling, if you will? All right. So I saw this amazing Twitter that, that all it does is post screen grabs of message boards from all these college football uh, fandoms. And there was all this buzz oh boy. that South wow. Carolina fans were trying to raise money via a message board to troll Clemson and Tennessee in the Arkansas. Tennessee thought they were going to be in the college football playoff. South Clemson thought they were going to be in the college football playoff. They lost to South Carolina. So Gamecock fans got a, raised money, got a banner, and our buddy Edge, a, a longtime editor at ESPN.com, who's a Tennessee alum like myself, posted this. And listen, you can't get mad at enjoy your bowl game via the Gamecocks to Clemson and Tennessee because, quite frankly, that's just that's a stud move. Now, of course, the Tennessee and Clemson fans were quick to Photoshop that and make it say enjoy your bowl loss, Gamecocks, because it was earlier in the day, but at that point it didn't matter. All right. Leave it to my home state. Go Carolina. Uh, Ryan, thank you. <laughs> As gonna... always, you can check out Ryan's article on <laughs> I know. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, Ryan, uh, go to ESPN.com. Check out the article. Uh, what a bowl season it's been. We say hello now uh, to Nick Carparelli. First of all, we can take a little bit about bowl expansion history because we had 40 bowls this year. Uh, so many folks able to see and watch some quality college football, uh, to which now I do say hello to Nick Carparelli, the executive director of bowl season. And Nick, you talk about a busy couple of weeks for you because we really don't stop in the month of December and early 
January. Uh, what's the key takeaway uh, from, from bowl season now almost complete? Well, I think the key takeaway is, is bowl season and, and all the bowl games are very, very meaningful to a lot of people. You know, we're, we're really focused on the playoff and what, what an amazing two games those were. If we have a game on Monday night, even close to those two, I think we'll all, all be happy with that. But so many other great games that uh, were so meaningful to a lot of teams. I mean, I, I'm thinking about the, the, the Gator Bowl where, where Notre Dame beat South Carolina game that went down to the wire that the the holiday bowl oregon had to hit an extra point went off the upright and in to beat north carolina by a point and then how about that liberty bowl kansas goes to a bowl game for the first time in a long time big comeback in the fourth quarter go to overtime lose to arkansas none of those teams would be in any form of playoff that's been contemplated but yet those games are really really meaningful to those teams and really exciting for the fans to watch Nick, it's interesting because uh, for the first time, we now know that we will have playoff expansion. It's been suspected for a few seasons, but now we know. And so things will have to change, and there'll have to be some adjustments. As you start your planning, uh, how are you looking toward what will be a college football playoff expansion? That's a great question. As you can imagine, Wendy, it's one I get asked very often. Uh, first and foremost, we, we love the college football playoff. You know, this sport, as great as it is, needs a great mechanism to crown a national champion. Uh, but we feel that bowl season as, is just as important, if not more so, to a greater number of institutions and a greater number of student athletes. 12 spots in any postseason system in college football is not enough to serve 130 institutions. Let's face it, college football is not an even playing field. Uh, programs are at different points in their development or uh, different points as, as they're trying to um, evolve and maybe potentially get to that playoff someday. So they need these bowl games ex experiences. They need the two extra weeks of practice. They need to be able to play the young guys so that they can get a, a little bit of glimpse to, to next season. Bowl games are both a reward for the current season, but oftentimes a launching point for the following season. So uh, what I have to say is that as important as the college football playoff is, bowl season is just as important. And, and college, college football's postseason is made up of both of those equally. Fair enough, Nick, and we understand, at least in the initial planning, that those first-round playoff games will be played on campuses. The higher seed will have the opportunity to host those games. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, you know, we're, we're not a big fan of that, I'll be honest with you. You know, I think for a couple of reasons. I think, uh, one, the, with all the logistical issues, I think it's really hard with the tight two-week turnaround that's going to be necessary for a campus. Oftentimes, uh, uh, college communities don't have a lot of hotel rooms to be able to turn that around so quickly, uh, put all the hospitality elements together, the, the, the hotel, weather could be an issue. Uh, if this year is any indicator, we would have saw a, a game played in, a Columbus, in Columbus, Ohio, that was really under treacherous conditions. And I'm not sure that's what we want for postseason college football. The other is for the atmosphere and the emotional experience. You know, I've heard a lot this season about um, the great home environment that some of the games we saw this year. And I think as human beings, we're, we're, we're kind of creatures of the moment. Uh, we have very short memories of, of what atmospheres were like in the past and what they could be in the future. And I was reminded of that personally. I was at the Rose Bowl this year. Uh, half the stadium was red, half was white. I remembered back to that great national championship game with Vince Young in, in Texas beating USC. Uh, I was at the Fiesta Bowl this year with half purple, half maize and blue. And, and it's such a unique environment where you have two fan bases that are equally being served, never a dull moment in the building. When one team's playing well, that, that fan base rises up 
when when the other team is playing well, their fan base rises up. It's almost like the fans are playing the game against each other in the stands simultaneous with the teams doing it on the field. And that's such a unique atmosphere. And it's something I, I really hope we don't lose in the new playoff system. All right, Nick, thank you. Lots of planning, lots of changes coming. We look forward to it. Appreciate you being with us this afternoon. Uh, we'll go back now to Sam and Steve. And Steve, uh, listen, every country heard from here, everybody has an opinion on this, but what do you say about bowl games and the playoffs being separate and then where those initial playoff games should take place? Yeah, we talk about the environments. Nick did a great job talking about how great those big game environments are. But I also think you're asking a lot of the fans, uh, you know, uh, money, travel. And I like the idea of the home games. My issue is, are you going to make it, you know, hospitable for the visiting team? Where are they going to practice if you have a home playoff game in your own stadium? But I think that's the way to go because you talk about atmospheres, that's the way to continue it. Keep home fans discounted tickets. I know we're in, you know, we'll be on, you know, uh, winter break and stuff like that. But I think discounted tickets, home stadium, I think that's the way to go to keep the momentum going towards an ultimate champion in a new format. And I agree in so many ways with you, Stanford Steve. The fact that you get a chance to have an extra home game after you've won your conference, you're the higher seed, I think that's a benefit to you and also your community. There's going to be so much extra revenue coming in to your city, to your town, to your community with this extra game. And then to speak about the logistical issues of, well, how do you plan for an extra game. The NFL does this all the time. In the NFL, you don't know who's going to make the playoffs. And those playoff teams that have a mm. higher seed, they have home games. And so sometimes it's not until week 17 or week 18 where those teams find out if they have home games. So it can be done in the NFL. We see it in basketball as well. And so I don't think there should be any kind of logistical issue when it comes to a fear of how do we get people placed. I think if we are going to go to this 12-team playoff, which we've talked about, the teams, the cities, the schools, the universities, maybe even the players – should be benefited, should benefit and should be rewarded for the fact that they are a higher seed. I think it adds more intrigue to the late season games. Obviously, there's a lot of intrigue right now, but it adds even more because now the fans, the student body, parents, everyone says, wow, we get to go to another game in our stadium, in our environment, in our atmosphere. We get to stay at home, play at home, practice at home. And oh, by the way, we have the fans on our side. Neutral games are great. I've played in them, Texas OU, the Red River rivalry. I've played in those games. Those are fun, but there's nothing like being at home with your fans cheering you and booing your opponent. I cannot imagine the atmosphere at some of these stadiums with what would be an advancement on the line. You know, I mean, it, it's crazy enough in some of these earlier games, but to imagine that, it's, it's hard not to think it wouldn't be pretty fantastic. Still to come on this hour-long edition of College Football Live, he is, no doubt, the pride of Council Bluffs, Iowa, on the precipice of a national title, and we'll look at how Max Duggan's past has helped shape his future. Max Duggan's story is one of perseverance. From backup to best. From setbacks to comebacks. His team has gone from believing to battling for a national title. Although this is Max Duggan's breakout season, he is not just a one-hit wonder. He's put together 
an exceptional career and is just one of four players in Big 12 history to have 70 passing and 25 rushing touchdowns. He joins Sam Allinger, Trayvon Boykin, and RG3 in that exclusive club. Here's a look at how he got there. I was born and raised in Council Plus, Iowa. You know, if you're going to make anybody mad, you probably don't want to make someone from Council Plus too upset. Council Bluffs is a blue-collar railroad town. People are hard workers. Kind of a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, but good people. TCU quarterback Max Duggan, like his father before him, is a child of this working-class town located on the grittier, supposed wrong side of the Missouri River. Omaha is bigger. Council Bluffs is on the Iowa side. It's not on the Nebraska side. Council Tucky, that's usually what it's referred to, but we know better. Max's mom and dad met at the University of South Dakota, where Deb was a star hurdler and Jim a star quarterback. They moved back to Council Bluffs and adopted a family ethos that fits their town. I'd say, you know what, just don't take any off anybody. Whether you're playing or in life, stand up for what you feel is right, and you'll never doubt yourself. What is the best piece of advice your dad ever gave you? You know, he always says, big talk, don't make a big man. You gotta put your nose down, go to work. Not everything is gonna be given to you. Max would come out here in the summer when we baled hay, probably since he was about a seventh or eighth grader. He would help pick up hay bales. They weighed anywhere from 65 to 85 pounds a bale. I try to get some of the old linemen, you know, some of the other guys on the team to come out. It is funny because some of those kids would do it one time and then they wouldn't return. <laughs> you pick up a thousand bales of hay, you find out real fast physically how tough you are and more importantly how mentally tough you are. It's a character builder for sure. Max played for his dad at Lewis Central High School and received scholarship offers from the best programs in the country. We're back to work tomorrow. But Duggan chose TCU in 2018 and stayed at TCU even after a coaching change following the 2021 season. Sonny Dykes, also the son of a football coach, demoted the three-year starter to backup at the beginning of 2022. But Duggan stayed because, well, Council Bluffs kids don't quit. I wanted to be here when TC was winning, whether I was a starting quarterback or whether I was handing out Gatorade on the sidelines, I wanted to be here. I think that Council Bluffs, Iowa is kind of a no-nonsense town. Max is pretty indicative of representing Council Bluffs for sure. Max Duggan in at quarterback. He got put back in the starting role. I learned control, closes out like great teams do. I guess the rest is history. Duggan with his legs. There's a lot of Council Bluffs that comes out of him when he's playing. Just not going to give up. Hey, this is my quarterback right here, Max. Oh, it's awesome, man. I'm so proud of you. Max Duggan just said, give me the ball. I'm taking this over on the ground. I've had people come up to me in the grocery store or someplace and say, thanks. We've enjoyed following uh, Max on TV and kind of uh, put Council Bluffs on the map. I still go home and I do the same stuff with my same buddies in the same hometown. I just don't want to change. I want to be that same guy from Council Iowa that's proud to be from there. Tremendous, and needless to say, Duggan was privy to a hero's welcome when he got back to Fort Worth. This is after beating Michigan in the national semifinal game. I think, fellas, it's fair to say Duggan has earned a lifetime of free drinks from 
this TCU community. They are not soon going to forget what he's done, regardless of what happens on Monday night. But you can't watch that. You really cannot watch that, Sam Acho, and not smile from ear to ear. It is a great story. It's a great story about college football, about where he comes from. And how much do you think that has factored into the fact that he's still there and has this opportunity when so many guys hit that portal as soon as it looks like they may not be the starter? What stands out to me most about Max Duggan, even to the point of staying and not transferring, going through a nine-hour heart surgery just two years ago, playing through a foot injury last year, what stands out to me most, or stood out to me most about Max Duggan was his firm foundation. I was at the College Football Awards show with Greg McElroy and Reese Davis. We were presenting the awards, and he won the Davey O'Brien Award. It was one of the first awards presented. And when that award was presented, he was sitting there flanked by his mom, Deb and his dad, Jim. And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, now it all makes sense. The toughness, the grit, the stability that this dude has had and has been for a TCU program. So seeing that really impressed me. So that's what I love about Max Duggan. And you think about where he's from. He's from Iowa, right? He's tough. He's gritty. Like, that's how he plays on the football field. Even the Big, the big 12 championship game, when he was selling his team was celebrating after he scored, I believe it was that two-point conversion fourth quarter. He was like, man, get off me, man. We still got more to do. And so, yes, like having that foundation, yes, from his parents. I've seen it with other players, CJ Stroud. He's been a two-time Heisman finalist, seeing his mom and that foundation that he has with his mom. There's so much that can be given from parents down to their children, not just outside of the football field in life, but also on the football field. That's what I love about Max Duggan. No doubt, Sam. He, it's an all-timer. You know, Wendy, you talked about him not having to pay for a drink forever in Fort Worth. You just go back <laughs> and look at the road. And that piece did a great job of documenting his story and what he's about and why he's the player he is. And I go back to a story I read earlier this year after the SMU game where that was a tough spot for Sonny Dykes. He coached at SMU last year, and he talked about Max Duggan not letting his team lose that game. And I think that's where the real bond started was, was TCU going across Across town, hostile environment against their rival, not playing great and still getting a win. And the reason was Max Duggan. And from there, this team has just ascended. They go and beat the bag out of Oklahoma, and they are off and running after that. So it, it's an all-time story in the sport. It really is. You know, not even a starter week one, Heisman, uh, you know, invite at the end of the season, and now a chance to win a national championship for a school that only has 12,000 students. That is really, really special stuff and it's all credit to Max Duggan and he's a seasoned veteran in, a, in an area of, in the in an era of the transfer portal and people leaving yeah. early this dude has been there since 2018 and so going back to that Oklahoma game this year when he had a huge run there are a couple big passes this dude knows what it's like to play Oklahoma which was a powerhouse to lose to Oklahoma all these things so when these other players are coming in, he says, no, I can weather this storm. And so this is not a soliloquy about staying out of school. It's more of a monologue about Max Duggan and how he's been through a tenuous route, yet he's come out on top. Yeah, it's impressive. And, you know, uh, both these quarterbacks in this game uh, have really fought through adversity, stayed put, fought hard, mm. stayed where they are. Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch, and uh, we got great stories leading into Monday night. Uh, this one's not so bad early either, by the way. If hindsight is 2020, uh, Coach Kirby, well, it looks like a pretty smart decision on the part of Georgia. We'll take a look at what makes this master motivator tick. Coming up.
with less than a minute to go in the game. The Bulldogs kept fighting. From the 10, snap it back to Bennett. He looks in the end zone, throws it from the back corner. Caught! Caught! Touchdown! Touchdown! Touchdown, A.D. Mitchell! Back left corner! Touchdown! Georgia, 42. Ohio State, 41. Oh, my goodness. Episode two of Inside the College Football Playoff Season 4 is now streaming exclusively on ESPN+. Georgia has been one of the elite programs in the country that since Kirby Smart took over. The Bulldogs have won nearly 85% of their games, won multiple SEC championships, and made three trips to the college football playoff. Plus, let's not forget, they've come up big on the biggest stage. This right here. This right here. Keep shopping and do what we do. We're not practicing to beat somebody. We're practicing to beat everybody. Success comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. That's Henry David Thoreau. Don't ever underestimate the power of physical toughness. This physical toughness, it's what makes the difference. We will not be hunted at the University of Georgia. I can promise you that. The hunting that we do will be done from us going the other direction. When you give gratitude for the opportunity, it takes all your nerves away. O and O. If you are O and O, you want to go prove something. Let's go kick these guys. How do you come up with those slogans or phrases? Well, through reading, through material, through outside help, people you talk to that um, help your organization and maybe have a different way of conveying the same message because you know, ultimately we're trying to do the same thing each year, but you better find a creative way to say it because uh, otherwise it falls on deaf ears. It's usually like a weekly th theme that he goes along with, but uh, yeah, he seems to pull something out every, almost every day. Him being a, a former UGA player and him having a long time in his coaching game, I know he understands it, so when he speaks, we listen. Chopping wood, man. They just kept chopping. Keep chopping wood. Chop by chop, you strike them and you knock them down. A lot of people have good one-two punches, right? They, they can knock you out, but you get in those third and fourth rounds, fourth quarter with three minutes left, then it's like, all right, well, now we're going to keep chopping, and you've got to keep up with us. McIntosh in the backfield with Stetson Bennett. He'll get the carry. He'll get the touchdown. Wouldn't give up. And before we came today, we burned the boats and we came a fight. We're going to burn our boats that we go over to Indy with and we're going to come back with other teams' boats. Launching downfield and intercepted. Keely Ringo all the way to the end zone. We had someone speak to the team the night before the game telling a story of a great battle and uh, the captain burnt the boats. When you burn the boats, there's nowhere to go. It's either you win or you die. Georgia on the mountaintop. National champions at long last. It's like any great rallying cry. There's truth to it. There's meaning behind it. And then there's people you can share it with. It's about us. That's all we got and that's all we need. We're a family in this thing. We come out of here fast and physical. I think of Coach Mark will go out there and play at Guinea Wood. Um, so I think just seeing that passion and a desire to win, you have no choice but to respect it and embody it. That's what we've been saying all camp. You're either a leader or you're not. You know, Matt Rule was one that used that. He probably got it from somebody, but I told Matt, we were in the stadium up there in Charlotte, I said, we're still in your ism. Intercepted, pick six, Georgia. Nowhere to run and nowhere to hide for four quarters. 
they got to see us. We had a, a guest speaker come in. He did a great job messaging a uh, story in history. They forced somebody to come out of a, a building in another country, and they just played that song, Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide, and they put it on repeat. They, eventually, he surrendered and came out. Ball is out. Georgia's got it. This Georgia defense is in charge of this football game. Elite focus. That's all I'm doing is a guy across from me. I'm fixing to whip his ass. Not in my box. Not today. It's about us. It's about our family. We attack. Connection. Connection. One plus one equals what? Three. Believe in it, guys. People say one plus one is two, but if we're together, we're much stronger than just two independent entities. We want to operate and be connected. Those connections add up. And one plus one is, is greater than two. Do simple better. It's simple, man. It's four quarters of striking people. When you want respect and you want to earn respect, you take that helmet and you strike them, and you strike them, and you strike them. There's nobody above this G, nobody. I think Coach Smart does such a good job of preaching that, that when these sayings and these slogans come about, we're following them because we believe that this is what's best for the University of Georgia, for this football team, and for us as a whole. Georgia is just one win away from tying the all-time record for most wins over a two-season span. Only three teams have ever had 29 wins over two years. And the 2018-2019 Clemson teams, the only ones to do so since 1900. And Stanford, Steve, that's saying something. This is pretty elite company for these Georgia Bulldogs, no matter what happens on Monday night. But it's interesting uh, to see how this team was built because there's – Look, we know about the portal. We know some teams this year have benefited greatly. This Georgia team built, I think, in large part through recruiting, Steve. Absolutely. Recruiting, they've done a great job in that facet, and that's part of the job now. You know, a lot of people can't handle that, that when you look at coaches, that should be something you look at, and no one has been better than Kirby Smart. But it all goes back to what that piece was about, Wendy, toughness. Every time you hear him talk, there is an element of toughness. The way they practice, the way they go about work, you know, day-to-day -day operations. Everything is about toughness. And when you get inside that 60 minutes, they are counting on you are not going to be tougher them than them for 60 minutes. And that's all it is. It, it embraces, it symbolizes Kirby Smart, and that's the best thing. This team symbolizes their head coach, who is all about toughness and work ethic. And the defense, they actually follow after their co-defensive coordinator and Will Muschamp. So he came in last year in 2021, talk about the physical toughness. He came in last year in 2021 to, quote, help coach the coaches. Well, he assumed their old special teams coordinator and they went on to win a national championship. Now they're back in the national championship. The thing about Georgia when it comes to recruiting is that there's nothing to sell. You simply have to turn on the tape and watch the film and say, oh, I want to play there. So it's a certain type of player that they recruit. And then once that player comes inside the system, then it, they come inside of that culture, that culture of you're either a leader, you're not, that culture of this is how we play, this is how we practice, that culture of we're never going to be the, the hunter, we're always, or excuse me, like we're always going to go after it, right? So that's what Kirby Smart preaches. And so it's hard to come from somewhere else and just transfer into that culture. That's the difference with Georgia. So turn on the tape. You know exactly what you're going to get. When you look at the draft, you know exactly where you're going to go. Don't you want – I want to sign up after watching that. I'm like, I'll, I'll play for you, Coach. Like, hey, put me in. I don't think he'll have me. But, I mean, that's uh, – talk about, talk about motivation. He certainly knows how to, to mince words. 
Speaking of which, uh, it's an interesting phenomenon here because is it David and Goliath? Is this all but done or, or should we finally give TCU their due? Are we respecting the Horned Frogs? We'll talk about that next. And the drought is over. Tigers reclaim their crown. We conquered a mountain that ain't ever been conquered. Oh boy, what a January schedule we've got though. Not only do we have the NFL, don't forget the FCS championship game, North Dakota State versus South Dakota State. What are the odds? ABC. And on Monday night, of course, the national championship game presented by AT&T, TCU, and Georgia, one of which will walk away as a new college football national champion. If TCU pulls off the upset, they'd be among the biggest preseason long shots to win a championship over the last 25 years. As a matter of fact, the only championship team with longer odds than TCU's 200 to 1 was the 2015-16 Leicester City team. I don't know, uh, Stanford Steve, I think that's a way of saying, so you're saying there's a chance, a very, very small chance. Uh, listen, 200 to 1, here we are. They've got a big game in between, of course, uh, Georgia standing in the way. But listen, is it finally time we just call it what it is and TCU's a very good football team? I've been saying it for a while, uh, Wendy. I think we did this show the first week of the rankings. I had TCU, too, and I just was a believer. I love everything they're about. So if you're still doubting TCU, um, I'm hoping you still have money in your pocket because that means you were betting against them for a lot of weeks this year, and it didn't go well. So uh, I, I, I've been on the TCU train for a while. I picked them against Michigan. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not there with a pick yet for the game, but you got to be feeling pretty good about being this close to a 200, 200 to one ticket if you do have that and holding one yeah a lot of people still do view tcu as an underdog we talked about it the school 12,000 students it's a smaller school it's not the typical program you would think of when you think of these uh, storied programs yet they put up 51 against michigan which is one of the top defenses the top five defense in all of college football michigan hadn't allowed more than 27 all season long and then on the other side Georgia, Georgia defense, their defense, their defense. Georgia's defense gave up 41 against Ohio State in their game last week. They gave up 30 in the SEC championship game. And so that Georgia defense has shown signs of being a bit porous. And so you combine an offense that's explosive in TCU with Quentin Johnston and Tay Barber and DeMarcado, right, if he's healthy, and, and Max Duggan, the Heisman finalists, combine that. You go against a defense that's still Georgia, but they were a field goal away from not being in this game and missed field goal as time didn't run out, but 17 or so seconds left from not being in this game. Now you're setting yourself up for a great opportunity for a game that may surprise a lot of people. Yeah, the biggest thing here, and I said it all, you know, in the weeks leading up to the Fiesta Bowl, Sam, the first half of this game is absolutely enormous for TCU, especially the defense. And that's where you saw them. They made plays in the first half, pick six. They get an early lead. That changed the whole dynamic of the game. And that made them wary and, and being able to take Michigan's best shot when they were throwing haymakers the whole second half. So, again, the, set, the first half for TCU's defense is, is so critical if they're going to win this game. And that's why I expect them to come out and play well.
right, Steve, you talk about haymakers. I'm going to throw you one. I know you just said you hadn't made a pick yet, but I won't see you again until Monday. Each of you, who you got? Steve, you up first. I'm not picking yet. I got I to watch some more tape here, Wendy. Oh, come, on. come on now. You make your pick. Steve. All right, Steve, you have to pick. A TCU. I'm not going to sit the fence. Wendy, who you got watching all week? Right here. We always agree on everything around here. We do agree we'll be back tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody.